restaurant sector has for the most part been simmering on an upward curve this past decade in the UAE. The realities of the pandemic may have put a lid on this trend. Many operators are now asking if it is even worth trying to carry on amid the new normal of physical distancing and restrictions on in-dining capacity. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is Kelsey Warner, our future editor. How are you, Kelsey? Hi, Mustafa. I'm well. How are you? Uh, I know you've been covering this story, uh, Kelsey. It's been ongoing ever since the restrictions were put in place. And as Ramadan winds down to a close, we're kind of on the verge of a loosening of restrictions. But where where was the food and beverage industry before the pandemic hit? Sure. So... I mean, prior to COVID nineteen, the UAE F and B industry was kind of a kind of a beacon, you know, in the region in the Middle East. They were a leader on the back of increasing tourism, kind of fueling this food renaissance here in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. You know, Dubai actually has more restaurants than New York or London, and three quarters of restaurant owners, even before this, were anticipating moderate growth in the near term. So there was optimism in the sector, and now, as you said, there's this sort of less certain future looming. So we're going to take a deeper dive into this topic. And with us, we have uh, two guests, uh, Alexis Marku Varvatsoulis, who is with property consultants JLL. He's the food service lead for the Middle East and North Africa for the property consultants and is also a former chef. We also have joining the discussion, Ian Ohan, who's the founder and chief executive of the restaurant operator Crush Brands. Now, let me start with you, Alexis, if that's okay. I, I know JLL's done some work on where we stand at the moment in terms of the industry, the pandemic, uh, the immediate future. Maybe you can give us a bit of color on that. Thank you, Mustafa. Thank you for having us on. Uh, yes, as you said, we're just uh, completing a survey on the true impact of COVID-19 on the, end, on the restaurant industry. Uh, it's a global survey, but we've, uh, we've really, uh, we're really looking into the European and the Middle Eastern uh, markets in more detail. We, we've questioned operators uh, to really understand what's going on in order to be able to support the industry, but also support a lot of our clients, which are on the landlord side. So what we did was we looked to, to find the the impacts of COVID-19, especially on operations, in terms of uh, how how much uh, time did they have to close, what was the impact to sales due to the different lockdowns, and um, how has uh, delivery been affected, whether they've seen a growth or was it uh, whether it also saw a decline in sales. This is, uh, is going to be shared as soon as we finish the, the survey. And it really is in order to be able to support the industry coming out of COVID-19. As you know, Mustafa, the, the restaurant industry has been very, uh, very much affected by this, uh, this pandemic. Alexis, can you give a little color on what uh, sentiment is among operators at the moment in terms of what they're predicting in terms of sales this year? Uh, so uh, the, sur- the survey we, we've done so far is the, it's, has 37 questions and we received responses from over 200 restaurateurs representing uh, 1,500 units. 
and we, we find that almost everyone has been affected to some extent. We find that about 50% of the restaurants in the Middle East had to stop operations. Uh, we've seen that Europe has a, a little bit uh, more operations had to stop. In terms of sales, and more specifically in the Middle East, we find that cafes and fine dining have been the most affected. Overall, we find that about 20%, uh, so in the Middle East, sales have dropped about 20% in February and uh, over 60% in March. We also asked whether the, the respondents, what they expected for the sales in April, and we find that it's almost at 90% with uh, cafes and fine dining establishments expecting uh, almost 100% in in sales. That, as you can imagine, is very much because of curfews and lockdowns. Install sales are very, very difficult to achieve. It needs to be said that due to social distancing and health measures, we expect the recovery curve to be much slower than other uh, industries because, as we've seen in, in the Middle East and, and more specifically in Dubai, even when they are all, uh, restaurants are allowed to open again, that 30% capacity really puts a cap on the, on the achievable sales. In terms of delivery, even though a lot of people would ex- expect delivery sales to actually grow, in the Middle East, we've, we've seen a 3% dip in February sales, 20% in March, and an expected uh, 30% dip in April. So a pretty grim picture. I just want to bring Ian in now because, Ian, going into this, I mean, 95% of your business was delivery. And actually, you own a technology platform, Big Dwarf, that actually sidesteps the food delivery aggregators, Deliveroo and Uber Eats, which have been a bit vilified amid COVID-19 for their high commission fees against a struggling industry. Can you talk a bit about what you've seen over the last couple of months and Big Dwarf's role so far? So our um, our sales are consistent with um, uh, Alexis's numbers. Our sales drops. Um, we it's been a bit erratic though because it sort of depends on the news of the day. So it's been hard to predict um, since the the outset. But um, we are starting to feel a bit of firmer ground at the moment on the delivery side and the online ordering side in particular. Um, we we currently um, what's interesting is that before the pandemic we were running at about fifty percent direct online order rate on our own platform, and uh, at the moment we're pushing sixty uh, percent plus, um, you know, you know, on average, and and we're seeing recovery and strength in our on our own platform. So that's pretty exciting for us. Um, but the uh, you know we don't um, we don't work with uh, third party delivery. Um, I think my views are are. Uh, pretty prevalent, uh, you know, prevalently covered. But uh, I don't believe that third-party de- delivery is good for our industry, and um, I, and I think it's uh, you know it's become uh, the issue of third-party delivery, the fees, um, the lack of transparency with customer data and with customers in particular. Um, I think it become uh, as you said, it's been really highlighted during this pandemic, particularly their uh, lack of willingness to help support the very industry that they profited from. And can you talk a little bit about? what sorts of things restaurants miss out on by seating control to the delivery companies, especially amid a time when restaurants have gone pure delivery in terms of, you know, payments, data, all sorts of things. 
Yeah. So the, the, I mean, the most important thing, and it's, it's interesting, it's something that our industry tends to overlook completely is the data because ultimately that's what all these companies are after. And yet our industry sort of overlooks it. Um, but that's the key. I mean, and, and, and it's not data for the sake of, you know, uh, capitalizing on data the way they wish to it's data. So you can be connected to your customer directly. Right. Um, any industry that allows uh, some, you know, a third party to, um, you know, insert itself between its its customer and itself is is a dangerous place to be. You know, whether that's in food and beverage or any other business. Um, and so that connectivity with the customer is absolutely critical. And the third party delivery companies, you know, they you know they sidestep that. Um, the other issue that with third party delivery is the, you know, the experience at the door, you know, is this professional delivery. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about contactless delivery and the things that third party companies are doing. The reality is those drivers cannot even go into if you know, they, they don't have a, a restaurant to go into to wash their hands. They have no place to to sanitize themselves, um, you know, uh, to uh, to adhere to COVID-19 restrictions and, uh, and hygiene standards. Um, you know, so there's this whole idea of, you know, somebody else delivering your food, um, not using proper delivery bags, not using, you know, hot bags, cold bags, um, and, and caring for your food. So I think, you know, those are the, some of the issues that are faced um, by that. And, and, you know, when you give up connectivity with your customer, um, you have no control over that relationship. And that relationship can be controlled by third parties. And they use that to leverage higher fees from customers and from uh, from merchants. So that's dangerous in my view. Um, I'll jump in here because, I mean, obviously the aggregators aren't here to defend themselves. And, you know, you're a restaurant operator, so you're going to have your legitimate viewpoint. Um, but to bring you both in, both you, Ian and Alexis, I wonder if the current crisis, okay, livelihoods are at stake, uh, jobs are at stake. It's very serious. We're in a public health crisis. Um, and, you know, the restaurant industry is one that's been thriving at times. And it's, and it's important, particularly on a consumer point of view. But there is a sort of the bigger picture at stake here If is also, you know, what's the industry going to look like, um, you know, in a few months, in a few years time. And and partly, I wonder if, if this crisis is highlighting two major um, weaknesses that have been there, certainly where the UAE is concerned. One is the relationship between food and beverage outlets and the property industry, where um, it seems restaurants are more geared for filling malls than they are for actually meeting demand. And, you know, they're going to suffer in, in difficult times as a result of that, particularly if people can't go to the malls. And then secondly, on a wider point of view, is the aggregators didn't sort of spawn in a vacuum. They arrived because there were weaknesses in certainly the customer experience when it came to um, the meeting the growing demand for delivery because there were other consumer habits going on. So, you know, what, you know, uh, and I, I wonder, both of you can kind of give your point of view of, you know, these trends will continue to play out as the crisis eases, hopefully sooner rather than later. So the, the industry itself has got a lot of introspection and work to do in any case. Uh, absolutely, Mustafa. And, and you know, it, it's a very interesting uh, observation on the aggregators. I, I very often um, compare them to the OTAs in the travel industry. It's a little bit like a, a necessary uh, evil, let's say, without calling them evil, of course, because uh, they are serving a purpose. And, and during our survey, we found that in some way or another, about 92% of the people offering delivery are, are using some kind of aggregator. 
And, uh, you know, these, we're looking at the fees, we find that the larger the third-party delivery services, the larger the fees are. So the, that consumer base and that, that, that touch point or that bigger membership data is leveraged for more, for more fees. Now, I fully appreciate the, the, the side on the operators, which, you know, with, with slim margins and, and margins getting slimmer, it is very difficult to actually afford those fees. What COVID-19 and the, the entire pandemic we expect is going to lead to is that it's going to help the industry change and adapt a lot quicker than it would have on a normal circumstance. So, you know, delivery, uh, third-party aggregators or third-party delivery services are relatively new. They're being going very quickly because there's that need. However, it needs to adapt in order to make it profitable, not just for the aggregator, but also for the operator, whilst offering the end consumer something that is covering their needs. So, so I'd, um, if I can jump in, um, uh, I, I'd, I'll sort of build on uh, Alexis's point. And, and to, to your early point, Mustafa, the, there's no question that the industry uh, allowed this to happen um, because the industry didn't uh, give customers what they were looking for. Um, the, the problem that I see, you know, in terms of value chain, um, if you look at the economics overall, there simply isn't room in the value chain for third-party delivery in 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 its current form. And if you look at what they've done, they've actually, they've got a tri-party model, business model. They've solved one problem, which is the problem for the customer. Um, and, and even that, the, the price of that delivery is being, uh, has been heavily subsidized by investors. Um, and today, um, virtually every single one of the aggregators and third-party delivery companies are losing money on every single delivery they make. So, so they've created a, a, a solution for a customer, but they, um, they fundamentally don't make money, so their business model doesn't work in its current form, um, which is another point to be discussed later. And they've, uh, and, and they've taken too much value out of the, um, the pockets of, of uh, restaurants. So they've solved one of three problems. So that creates um, uh, a behavior, and, and then the, the, the problem that they have is they're competing against each other, right? These, these are massive businesses, you know, and there's a lot at stake. Um, with, so when you start to look at the future of, of third-party delivery, you start to wonder, um, you know, are their business models, uh, do they make sense? And I would say that they don't make sense today, which means they have to evolve into something. So the question is, what are they going to evolve into? Um, and you know, there's, there's a few different views, but I mean, it's already happening. They're evolving into restaurant companies because there's not enough value in the overall chain. Yeah, delivery is fundamentally a cost center. Last mile delivery is a cost center. It is, there's no room for profit in my view. Um, it is a, it's an expensive proposition and the real cost of delivery is starting to be seen in the U.S. and other places where, you know, the average cost of delivery is 7 to $9, you know. And, you know, so that, you know, th there's room for that to a certain extent. But I think the average consumer, you know, isn't willing to pay that. Um, but they, so th there's a conundrum going on. You know, they're under pressure to become profitable. Um, and uh, the only way they can become profitable is to be, is to get market control, which means they have to beat each other. 
Um, and uh, the only and if they get that, then they have to fight governments who are trying to uh, not give them control. For you know, in Western governments in particular, it's very difficult. You know, you look at what's happening in the UK; they're blocking deals, reviewing deals. Um, so th these companies need you know scale and control to raise prices, um, but governments don't want to give that. The cost of the uh, labor is going up and being uh, highly regulated by governments around the world is starting to become regulated. So their overall costs are going up. So the question becomes, are these businesses uh, viable going forward? And I would, I would argue that they're not. And you're, we're going to see massive consolidation within the industry. You know, for them, it's it's consolidate, evolve, and or die. And and I think um, to Alexis's point, I think the 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 good thing that's coming out of this is the industry is being forced to look at itself and and compete and to understand the importance of technology um, and and uh, and dealing with customers where the, where they should be. So I mean, I think we're a little delivery obsessed because it's currently in some ways our only option amid this. But coming out of this, we're going to want to go back to restaurants. And I think the legacy currently looks like we're going to be sitting, you know, at 30% capacity, pulling up a QR code menu on our phones. So contactless ordering, contactless payment will be encouraged. But how will technology appear in a really post-COVID world? What will the legacy really be if we look at the dining in experience? I think the legacy is going to be, um, for the strong, uh, the legacy is going to be connectivity with their customers. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than a lot of people. I think, you know, we will eat again. You know, I think, um, you know, I think most people want to go back to their lives the way they were, and we will go back to, you know, some semblance of, you know, very close to where we were. We want to be there. We want to eat in restaurants. We don't want to be contactless. We're social beings. Um, and so I'm very optimistic that, you know, this, this industry is not only going to go back to where it was, it's going to, it's going to thrive again. The, the difference will be that technology, you know, um, the idea of, of using technology to span, you know, there's a lot of discussion, as you said, between third party delivery and, and dine in, but really technology is there to be, to, to maintain connectivity with the customer. And our customers today want to eat where they want, when they want, how they want, from who they want. And, you know, the technology is the one piece that allows uh, businesses to connect those dots and, and, and provide the best overall experience to customers. And those are the companies um, that will have the greatest scale. Those are the companies that will survive. Those are the ones that will be the most beloved by, by I believe, the, the next uh, uh, generation uh, or the, 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 the post-COVID diner. My, my, my question to the group and my question is between Today and tomorrow, that halfway point is, you know, hospitality and social distancing are two things that are very, very difficult to mix. You know, you're losing a lot of the experience because of, of the different social distancing or health measures being taken. And, and it's not just about the dining experience. It's also about the experience overall, which is very, very difficult to deliver. And I think this is where we're going to see a little bit of creativity. Creativity. We also we already seen a few brands introducing either gloves or masks that are branded to the to that specific brand. You know, it's interesting. And to Ian's point, technology, when used right, which is the biggest caveat, can support that hospitality and connectivity with the client or the end user. 
but that middle ground will be quite quite an interesting uh, space to watch because it's it, it will be a difficult time and it will uh, limit uh, hospitality uh, moving forwards for, for a little while. To build on that, I would also argue that I mean, in this period, you know, the the thing that I think we're going to see is a massive calling. Um, and some of that's going to be healthy calling. Some of it will be unfortunate because there'll be good businesses with great products, great service um, that just weren't able to, you know, survive the um, this this COVID period, interim period. But there's going to be a massive calling of restaurants that were, in many cases, not, you know, they were already in trouble. They they weren't of today's age. They weren't, you know, adapted, um, which will create. I think an incredible amount of innovation, you know, it's going to accelerate innovation and, and, and open up a, a new field for innovative young, small companies, as well as bigger companies that are, you know, uh, playing catch up with their technology um, to meet their, uh, their, you know, their larger real estate related sort of uh, food and beverage operations. Absolutely. We'll have to leave this insightful conversation here. Alexis Marku Varvatsoulis from JLL and Ian Ohan, founder and chief executive of Crush Brands. Thanks so much for being with us. And definitely, we want to have you back again uh, once we know more uh, to review how things have gone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Kelsey Warner, the National's future editor. Also, thank you for being with us as usual. And uh, we look forward to reading your piece about the restaurant industry and how it's coping at the national.ae. Me too, as always. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and the UAE have pledged to deepen their oil production cuts in an effort to stabilize energy markets. Emirates is taking aggressive measures to protect its business from the impact of the pandemic after reporting a 21% rise in annual profit. And Elon Musk has picked a fight with a California county trying to block Tesla from reopening its only US car plant. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. Hold up. 